0: My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am really glad that, uh, that you're here today. I am really glad that you're here today. Uh, Kim and I and the family had an opportunity to go on a family vacation, and uh, it was really nice. It's good to be back. really appreciate the good work that uh, pastors TJ and Dean have done the last uh, couple weeks. Just super thankful for uh, the team that God has blessed us with. Well, it's good to be together this morning, it is great to sing of the core truths that we believe. It is great to share stories of how you've been encouraged this week. My favorite part of the service so far is Matt having to struggle to get you all back in your seats in the middle of sharing how God has been encouraging you this week. I know for some of you, though, that's difficult. Some of you come this morning and you have rock-solid beliefs and you are standing on that foundation and you are praising God for how he has worked in your life this week. And others of you, though, it's, it's hard and it's a struggle and it's difficult. And let me just say this morning, if that's you, you're in the right place and God can handle it all. Now, here at Community Church, we are a community who sees and shares the hope of Jesus together. That's what we're about. That's what we're trying to be about. And we talk about living that out in four ways. We talk about growing and, you know, getting in an environment, a group, a class, and and learning and growing and reading the Bible and praying and all those good things. We talk about serving. You know, all the, the work of the ministry that goes on in this place and out in the community, we talk about giving and we talk about sharing. And this morning, just want to highlight one of those, and that is in the area of giving, of giving back to God in response to his generosity towards us. And giving is a get-to, not a got-to. It's an opportunity that we get to do to, to further the work Of the ministry. And I just wanted to share uh, a couple things because you gave recently. uh, We've been able to do a couple things. First of all, I have a beautiful New International Reader's Version large print kids' Bible. We were able to purchase these and use these with our elementary school kids this week. One of the things that's, I'm so thankful for Pastor Carissa leading our kids and just so intentional about child development and how we integrate faith and how they grow, and uh, we had these like old small print ESV, which is a harder translation to read Bibles, which I love the ESV, it's great, not so great for third graders, all right, so we've got a great translation, large print, I'm so excited about our kids falling in love with Scripture, we've got these little tools that she handed out uh, that have each book of the Bible and how it fits together, all 66 books. And a little overview so they can begin to grasp how God's word is put together. That's a beautiful thing. She shared a story of one of the, uh, what parents came up to her and said, hey, my kid taught me how to find the New Testament. You open it up like halfway and then halfway again and there, it's, there it is. And That's awesome. And Let me just say this, if you're that parent, I'm so thankful you're here. If you don't know anything about the Bible, it doesn't mean you don't have intelligence. It just means you don't know anything about the Bible. And I'm super thankful and grateful that you're here. I could preach a message about that. But one other thing I wanted to share about giving, though, we have a uh, benevolence fund where we're able to help out families, individuals in our congregation and in the community. And because of your giving, we were able to help out with rent with uh, uh, a husband and wife who really ill with COVID and, and just needed some financial help this week and also able to help out a single mom of three with some utility payments. So just know that these real-time practical things are happening. And let me say thank you and let's thank the Lord uh, right now as we remember what he's done and just know that you can participate, you can give online, you can, you can uh, give through our envelopes in the offering boxes as well. So let's pray. Father, We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your generosity, your compassion. I thank you that you have brought each person here today. And Lord, as we give back to you, would you take our gifts, would you multiply them for your glory and your kingdom? And Lord, as we open up your word together this morning, would you open up our hearts would you up and open up our minds to receive what you have for us today? Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this year we have been focusing on the hope of Jesus. We've looked at different aspects of that, and we're in week two of a series that's focused on really a key characteristic of God that gives us that hope and that is compassion looking at this idea of compassion and we're going to see some compassion in action today but I want to start you off though with a question and it's a real question are you disappointed with God Have you been disappointed with God? Let that roll around just for a moment. One of my favorite writers, uh, Philip Yancey, and just let me say this, if you're wrestling with doubt and discouragement, it's good to have writers who have gone on that path already and have come out the other side. Kind of an older book, but it's called Disappointment with God. And he said, There's three questions that nobody wants to say out loud Is God unfair? Is God silent? Is God hidden? I believe in each one of us, whether or not we want to say these things out loud, sometimes those questions pop up. They do. So my question to you today is, what do we do with that? What do we do with these questions? What do we do with the hard stuff? Jesus has a great illustration, a great story that we're going to dive into here in just a moment. But um, was, was, was just stopped in my tracks by um, uh, a little bit of uh, a book that I read this week by Frederick Biekner. If you've ever heard of Beekner, kind of a, an older guy, um, lots of novels, books, super thoughtful writer, uh, passed away this past week, but somebody told him near the end of his life, they said, Frederick, you've been through a lot of pain in your life, and you have been a good steward of your pain. He said, you have been a good steward of your pain. In other words, a lot has come your way. You've been given gifts and talents, but you've also had to deal with pain, and you have used that pain in a way that's been productive and helpful. But that was a penetrating insight for me that that caused me to say, have I been a good steward of the pain that I've gone through? Jesus is going to help us out with that this morning as well. So what is it you bring into this place this morning? What what might be some of those pain points for you? What might be some of those disappointments, some of those frustrations, the unanswered prayer? God, I've been praying for this for a long time, for healing, for this disease to go away, for that knucklehead kid to come back for this job to work out for this situation to work itself out and I'm in this place of pain Jesus what do I do with that how can I be a good steward of my pain so let me take you to Mark chapter 9 and this is a story we're going to wrestle through this is not one of those nice three neat alliterative points that you can take home and boom, boom, boom. We're going to wrestle with this story a little bit. We're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to look at as Mark tells this story. So I'm in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. We're going to get a window into the compassion of Jesus. Mark nine fourteen. I am reading from the ESV. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Now, let me set the scene here for just a moment. Jesus has just come off the mountain with his three closest, Peter, James, and John, and and they have witnessed the transfiguration. I mean, this is a supernatural, literally a mountaintop experience. Peter, James, and John will see Jesus with bright, you know, brighter clothes than anything bleach could whiten. He'll see this supernatural experience, the presence of Moses and Elijah. So they, they are coming down from the mountain. And there's a great crowd around them, and scribes are arguing with them. Now, Peter, James, and John have just heard this: the voice of the father say, This is my son. Listen to him. So it's a declaration of the identity and authority of Jesus. Verse 15, And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Now, I have some wonders here. Why were they so amazed? One of the great things to do as you read God's word, ask questions. Don't just Shh, go too fast slow down. Why were they amazed? Well, on the one hand, I want to think, was he glowing? Was he like Moses coming off the mountain in the Old Testament? Perhaps, but Jesus had clearly said, hey, don't share this experience with anybody. It's not time yet. Maybe it was just Jesus' presence alone in the middle of this conflict that amazed them. Verse 16, and he asked them, what are, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. You need to picture the scene here. So there's an argument. You've got the scribes, the teachers of the law, the ones who have all the theology buttoned up, but they don't take Jesus for who he is. He's the hick from Nazareth. The disciples are unable to, to do this healing. And in, in Mark 6, Jesus has commissioned them, and they have gone out and they have healed. They have done miraculous things, but something has happened here that has gotten in the way. And then Jesus' response. And he answered them, "O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me." Stop. What's the picture of Jesus that we see here? What's his tone? He seems a little frustrated, a little disappointed, a little bit, what do you do with that? In some ways, it seems like an un-Jesus-like act by Jesus. I love what Philip Yancey says, though. He says, by studying about God, by taming him, In reducing him to words and concepts that could be filed away in alphabetical order, I had lost the force of the passionate relationship God seeks above all else. He's talking about questions of God. He says, they are not puzzles awaiting solutions such as you would encounter in the field of mathematics or computer programming or even philosophy. Rather, they are problems of relationship between human beings and a God who wants desperately to be loved by us. I want you to step into this relational space with Jesus for just a moment because that's where we are. Jesus is in the crowd. Jesus is going to act. And it is in the messiness of relationship here. Oh, faithless generation, who is Jesus disappointed with? Well, I, be, I believe there are a few things, all right? First of all, he's always going to be a little frustrated with the scribes because they don't understand it. They don't get it. They've got all, they can't see that Jesus is who he claimed to be. They're not going to buy it. He's primarily, though, going to be frustrated with his disciples. Why? Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. You're, if you're John, you're probably in your late teens, The others are probably in their 20s, and you've just been given the authority to heal. Think about that. I mean, like, really heal. Like somebody's sick and you heal them. What would that do? (laughs) Again, we've got to use our imagination a little bit here, but might that lead to some pride? Might that lead to, I'm special now? Might that lead to maybe I don't need Jesus? Perhaps. Perhaps. But there's some frustration in Jesus here. So we have one group, the scribes. They've got all the theological education in the world. Another group, the disciples who have this intimate relationship with Jesus. And then we have the Father. you talk about some pain put yourself in the shoes of the father for a moment verse 20 and they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth he's having some type of seizure here that is painful to witness Painful to see. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? How long? What do you hear in that question? Empathy. I care. I care about the details of your pain. Jesus fully God, fully man." What's he able... I I can't answer all those questions, but I know for sure there is empathy in this question. Now, let's look at the culture for a moment. If you have a boy with an unclean spirit, how is the community likely to respond to you? With open arms Probably not so much. Probably outcast. Probably distance. I don't want any part of you. Is there some generational curse, some generational sin? I I, I need to be distanced from you. What does Jesus do? Steps into it. How long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often, often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Can you picture this? I mean, this is self-harm. This is, oh. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Now, pause here. Don't read ahead. Some of you know the story. That's okay. Some of you, this is new. Don't read ahead. Stop here. Let's think about Compassion. We read a great psalm, Matt led us through a great psalm 103 that gets us into some of this imagery of compassion. We could double-click and do a whole big message on just what this term compassion means, but it has to do with something deeply stirred in my bowels. That's what the root comes from, and it even comes from a a, a root that has to do with with the womb and like a a mother um, caring for her children tender feelings for an infant if you know the old story of solomon king solomon and these two women come to him and they each have a newborn and one of them has died in the night and they're fighting over whose child is this and the great wise solomon says what bring me a sword i will slice this baby in two and give you each a half and the true mother says stop She's deeply stirred with compassion and says, "Give this child to her." Solomon says, "Ah, I know the identity. The compassion reveals the character. This is the true mother. The compassion reveals the love that's present." The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah forty-nine fifteen: "Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born?" Though she may forget, I, Yahweh, God, will not forget you, even though you've gone astray. Jesus himself in Luke 13, 34, will look at Jerusalem and say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Compassion. Deeply stirred at the depth of your being. God has compassion. That is who he is. Now let's get back to the story. We're all all stirred in the emotions, how Jesus is going to respond. Remember that the father said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. What do we want Jesus to do? Immediately heal? And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. If you can, what's the tone here? There's an edge to it a little bit. Are you? If you really knew who I am and you would ask the question, if you can, Jesus, are you kidding me? If you can? Now, whether there's a little snark or sarcasm here, I don't, I don't, I don't want to push that too much just know we see, we see probably a fuller range of emotion in Jesus than sometimes we give him credit for. I think there's also a poignant, if you can, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Do you really know the authority and power that I have? In the access that you have when you believe? Verse 24, immediately... The father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. What a prayer. Desperate, honest, real. What does Jesus do with that prayer? Verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd And he arose. Just picture that for a moment. The demon possessed, outcast boy, convulsing on the ground. Jesus heals him. They think he's dead from death to life. He picks him up. What a picture! What a picture! Verse 28, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now we got some explaining to do here. <laughs> Let's dig in for a minute. So we get, we get a window into this debrief session with Jesus. You're the disciples, you're there, you've been commissioned to heal, you can't do it here, you see the master at work, and you come back, hey, hey, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus gives this response. This kind, I don't want to go into a taxonomy of spirits and why this and that, I, frankly, I don't know. But I do know this, there's something about prayer, something about dependence on God that the disciples were not doing, that somehow Jesus is going to teach them through this. Because we're all sophisticated in the 21st century and we don't understand these things and we don't use this kind of language a lot, don't dismiss the spiritual aspect of life. If this Bible's true, then we live in a spiritual world where there are forces of evil that are against us and set out to destroy us. And we know that prayer moves the hand of God, dependent, humble, honest, desperate prayer. One of the great ironies of the story, whose prayer is answered? It ain't the scribes. They they couldn't do anything. The disciples, probably their own pride got in the way. It's the humble, desperate prayer of the Father that Jesus responds to. That's really encouraging to me. Now, here's the bottom line I want to leave you with, and we'll unpack it a little bit. Jesus always responds with compassion. Compassion to the real prayer of faith. Let me say that again. Jesus always responds with compassion to the real prayer of faith. Let's talk about that for a moment because some of you as you walk in here, you're saying, I've been praying real prayers for a long time and I don't see an answer. Let me just say it's okay to say that out loud and share that with somebody and say, I'm I'm hurting right now, I'm discouraged, and I'm frustrated right now. That may be you today. I don't want to leave you there (laughs) because I believe God's word has a great word of encouragement to us. So, what is a real prayer of faith? It's honest, it's a transfer of trust. Now, whenever I hear faith and I hear prayer, I'm reminded of this passage from James, not the James that went up on the mountain with Jesus. This is James, younger brother of Jesus. This is James who didn't buy it when Jesus was, before he was crucified. My brother's nuts. That was basically it. But after Jesus rose, James steps in. James leads the church at at Jerusalem. James, history tells us, is, is, is martyred, probably thrown off the top of the temple. This is James. This is what James says about prayer. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. that person should not expect to receive anything from God. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So how do I put to it, Lord? I believe help my unbelief. What do I do with this? Don't be unstable. Anybody feel tossed to and fro? That's how you, you feel sometimes. I believe part of what we need to think about is what is the source of our confidence? Read carefully. What is James asking for? If any of you lacks wisdom, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom is being guided through a decision or a circumstance. That's what wisdom is. Eugene Peterson in the message says If you don't know what you're doing, ask. If you don't know what you're doing and you ask God, that's a good thing to do. I don't know what I am doing, God, you do and I'm going to transfer my trust from me to you. Peter says it this way. I always love the rest of the story. I, I, I wish I knew the rest of the story about the young man that was healed and the father. We don't have that. But it's really cool to see how the disciples grew up. This is what Peter says. Peter, remember the one who denied Jesus, the one who cut off the ear of the guard and and all these things, and Peter grows up and gets rid of some of that pride and is used in a mighty way. 1 Peter 5, 17, very simply, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why can you trust God? Why can you transfer that trust? Because he has compassion. He cares for you. He really cares for you. The God of the universe cares for you. The God of the universe is deeply moved by your pain when you cry out to Him. So let me ask you this morning, are are you open to receive that compassion from the Lord? Some of you may be for the first time. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to ask you another question. Are you deeply moved by the pain of others? i got to confess, in the last couple i years, I've, I've developed some compassion fatigue. Sometimes I'm just worn out. And there's a hardening that can happen in that. Because there's so much, so much need. I've had to ask the Lord to soften my heart, break down some of that fatigue. Again, 1 Peter, Peter says this, 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God has given you gifts, God has given you Abilities, God has given you all these things to be part of his grace distribution system. Sometimes we have some supply chain issues with that, I think. Sometimes we're just not open to that. I believe he also uses our pain. He uses the tough things of life. Sometimes, I would just say not sometimes, but probably all the time, the most compassionate thing you can do for someone who is hurting is to bring them closer to the compassion of Jesus. So what does that look like? I think it's a simple prayer that they'll see Jesus more clearly. It's to be present and listen. Because you can empathize with somebody's pain doesn't mean you have to give advice and tell them how to deal with their pain. I believe we first want to listen. We love in practical ways. Simple question, what do you need from me? How can I be helpful today? Heard a great story of, you know, Somebody in our congregation went through just a horrible tragedy and a a brother was helpful to him and the the helpful step was simply talking about music and movies because he didn't want to talk about all the hard stuff. Sometimes that's grace. Just being present and willing to give what somebody needs. Jesus always responds with compassion the real prayer of faith do you believe that to be true this morning part of that transfer of trust is the part of us that's in unbelief that says i believe lord help my unbelief i god i need you to move me from here to here so how do we all know this how do we know this is all true How can we trust that the compassion of Jesus is real? If you go by the scale of, will God heal me of my disease? Will God give me the job? Will God change my circumstance? That's a dangerous road to go down, my friends. What happened to the boy and the father? Their prayer was answered. Eventually, though, what happened to that boy and that father? Eventually, they died. What's going to happen to each one of us? God God is with us. God will intervene. God will answer prayer. One day, though, friends, we're all going to suffer and we're all going to die. That's reality. Unless Jesus comes back sooner, (laughs) that's reality. That's reality. But here's where the ultimate compassion comes from. You you keep flipping in Mark, and he'll take uh, Peter, James, and John on another journey. And they'll go into the garden. And Jesus will say to his father, all things are possible. All things are possible. Take this cup from me take this cup comfort. Is there any other way? How does his father respond? Turns his back on his son. The compassion that he deserved is transferred to us. And friends, when we come to the communion table, as I would invite you to do now, this is what we remember. We remember the sacrifice, we remember the trust, that transfer. That same group of disciples who had all their pride and they couldn't figure it out and they had their doubts and their frustrations, Jesus gathered them in the upper room. And we gather today as followers of Jesus. Here at Community Church, if you put your faith and your trust, if you've prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, you don't have to have it all figured out, but you are welcome to the table. If you've got questions about that, we would love nothing more than to talk with you after the service. But we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered those disciples. And after giving thanks, he, he broke the bread and he, he gave it to him. He said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat. Do this in remembrance of me, so may we receive the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, This represents my blood. Blood for the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The blood that opens up the door for us to receive the compassion of Jesus. So may we receive the cup together. I would invite you to pray with me. Father, we come to you thankful for your compassion, thankful for your love. Lord, wherever we are, in the midst of our belief and our unbelief, meet us where, meet us where we are. May our prayers be honest May we be open to how you would fill us with your presence. We're thankful that your presence with us is real now and will be real forever and ever. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.